we are reading together in uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, We resume our studies in Genesis this morning, and we're turning to chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, and we commence our reading at verse uh, 1. Genesis chapter 22, if you're using the Church Bible, it's page 22, uh, the first section of the Bible, page 22. Genesis 22 and verse 1. Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this 
and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. We're turning now to the second half of our Bible, where we read again about this man, Abraham. If you're using the Church Bible, it's page 1209, 1209 in the second half of your Bible. Uh, otherwise, if you're using your own Bible, it's uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to see, as we read these uh, couple of verses here, and also a couple of verses from James, that Abraham, though he was a man who lived um, thousands of years before the coming of Jesus, he had, in fact, a real faith in the Jesus who would come, uh, and was trusting in him and obeying him. Hebrews 11, page 1209, and we read verse 17. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, or in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And then uh, turning to page 1214, a little further on, page 1214, James chapter 2 and verse 20. James 2 verse 20. James is talking now about faith. And faith in Christ must show itself in obedience. And he says, verse 20, uh, he, he imagines somebody objecting. He says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds or without obedience is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. Amen. Well, this morning, as I have mentioned already, we resume uh, our studies in the life of Abraham. Um, for the benefit of those who are visiting with us, uh, we began this in the springtime of the year, and we've been working our way through from Genesis chapter 12 uh, through 
and we're going to stop at Genesis chapter 25 in a few weeks' uh, time. But Abraham is this great figure uh, that we read of uh, in the Old Testament, uh, a man who lived uh, about uh, 4,000 years ago, but a man who lived in his day and age looking forward to Jesus, believing that Jesus would come to be his saviour. And so he's a man who lived by faith. And that's been our theme. And we've been learning from Abraham how we today, as those who trust in Jesus, we too are able to live by faith and should live by faith in our daily lives. Now, by Genesis chapter 22, uh, Abraham's son, uh, Isaac, has been born. Uh, And in many respects, life is very comfortable and settled for Abraham by this stage. There's no famine in the land at this time. He is now staying at Beersheba, and he's been there for a considerable period of time, and he will continue to stay there. So he's not moving as much from place to place. There's plenty of grass there, and there's fresh water there for his sheep and his cattle. So everything's going well in Abraham's vocation as, uh, an, uh, as, a, as a farmer. And also, uh, everything is very quiet and comfortable in the home. Isaac, that son that had been promised um, over a period of 25 years, Isaac has been born, Isaac is growing up, and here in chapter 22, the word that's used to describe him is, he is a young man. Now, the precise age, we don't know. That could mean anything from 15 uh, to 25 or more years uh, of age. And in the home, there is Abraham, and there is his beloved wife, Sarah, and there is Isaac, and then there are a host of servants in the home. So family life is very smooth and settled as well. <clears throat> Hagar and Ishmael, who had caused so much trouble in this home, they're now away from the home. And then Abraham is very much settled in the wider community. And he is a man who, as we saw in uh, chapter 20, he commands the respect of his neighbours. And he has neighbours who have come to him and said, we can see that God is with you in everything that you're doing. And we want you to promise that you will be kind to us for the sake uh, and out of honour to your God. So there's much about Abraham at this stage that is settled and the things are going well for him. But how is Abraham doing spiritually? When he was 75 years of age, he came to faith in Christ who would come. And we have seen the ups and downs of that journey of faith. But now Abraham is probably a man, could be 120 or thereabouts. He's in midlife. 
How is he doing spiritually in midlife? Is this man still going on with Christ? Is he still walking by faith? Is he walking by faith more now than he did in the beginning? How are you doing as a believer? Are you in very settled circumstances in your life? You're comfortable in your home? Perhaps you've got a good job and a family is growing up around you and there are no major challenges in your life. But the question is, in midlife, how are you doing spiritually? And God now in this chapter is going to speak to Abraham and ask Abraham to do something that is going to demonstrate that here is a man who is now mature and settled also in his faith. He's not just settled in his house and his business and his community. He is well and truly settled in his faith. And this test, which we'll see in a moment, is the greatest possible test that could be put to him. Abraham doesn't mess it up. Yes, he had messed up earlier many times. But now he stands rock solid in his faith in the Christ. And so the theme this morning that I want to develop from this chapter is the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. And that is a New Testament phrase. And it simply means this, that if you and I, like Abraham, have faith in Jesus Christ as our Saviour, then that will manifest itself in a life of obedience. And yes, there will come tests in our lives, and they may become increasingly difficult, and there may be a test that is really, really hard for us. But the obedience of faith will prevail if we are mature Christians, mature in Christ. Let's look at the chapter under the four headings that are on the rear side of your order of service. Thinking first of all about faith tested. Faith tested. We're looking at verses 1 and 2. Sometime later... New King James says, after these things, God tested Abraham. Notice that believers are tested by God. God is going to bring to the surface now all that faith that has been developing and maturing quietly over the years. And he says, verse 2, take your son. Notice the next phrase, your only son. And notice the next phrase, your only son whom you love. And go to Moriah, in the land, to the region of Moriah. That's in the region of Jerusalem. We'll see the significance of that later on. But go to Moriah, and there offer him as a burnt offering. 
Now notice that phrase, offer him as a burnt offering. I need to say something by way of explanation about offerings or sacrifices in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapters 1 to 5, there are five offerings, five sacrifices that are set out there. And these all point forward to the Christ. There is the burnt offering that we read about here. There's a grain offering, Leviticus chapter 2. There's a peace offering, chapter 3. There's a sin offering, chapter 4 of Leviticus. And there's a guilt offering, chapter 5. Now, if you want to work out the differences between those, then I would encourage you to read this afternoon Leviticus chapters 1 to 5. But here's the point that I want you to grasp about the burnt offering as one of these five acts of worship. What kind of an act of worship was it? Well, when you offered a burnt offering, the animal was brought and laid on the altar and every last bone, every last piece of flesh was burnt up. Some of the other offerings, in fact all of the other offerings, the one bringing the offering was allowed to share some of the food, the grain, or the fruit, uh, or the sacrifice, even the sin offering. But here in the burnt offering, it was completely and utterly burnt up. In other words, everything about this offering signified total dedication absolute commitment to God. We sometimes say of our, child, of our children, don't we, when we see them doing something, they put all into it. They held back nothing. Well, in the burnt offering, when it is going to be Isaac that is going to be offered, God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to test you. Are you going to hold back absolutely nothing? From me. God is not concerned here about Abraham's sin. Otherwise he would have asked for a sin offering. Abraham's sin and his forgiveness of his sin. That has been settled when he was 75 years of age. 40, 50 years before this. Now God is concerned about Abraham. Are you going to give me obedience, the obedience of faith, no matter what I ask for? What a test. This test, offer up your son as a burnt offering. This test goes against common sense. Isaac is Abram's future. He's his only son. It goes against human nature. Who wants to kill their own son? This, um, this um, uh, request actually goes against God's word. Because God has said to Abraham earlier on that in him, his family, and in Isaac, will his family be built up and extended into the generations to come. And so it goes against everything. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. What a test. 
But we don't need to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes. Because the reality is we are in Abraham's shoes. The New Testament tells us we are the children of Abraham. We are the family of Abraham. We are the same nature as Abraham, as those who believe in Christ. And our faith, your faith in Christ, it will be tested. And the Lord God may test your faith in the area of your health. Taking away the good and perfect health that perhaps you've had. He may test your faith in the area of your job. Where everything is uncertain. He may test your faith in the area of relationships. Where in your family there are challenges in dealing with children or wider family circle. You see God in his wisdom comes to us. And he wants to see and he wants to show the maturity of faith. And he does so by bringing tests into our lives and he's saying to us, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your wife or husband? If I were to take her today in death or him today in death, would you, um, would you be um, annoyed and angry at that? Do you love me more than your children? Do you love me more than your comfort? You see, for many of us here this morning in church, like Abraham, the issue is not the forgiveness of our sins. We can look back, some of us two, three, some of us 20, 40, 50 years, and we can say, I have trusted Christ since then. But where are we in terms of the maturity of our faith? Is there the obedience of faith? Is there the burnt offering? Is our life being offered up as a burnt offering? Lord, here's my life. It's yours. Take it. Use it as you will. That's faith tested. But then let's notice faith demonstrated. We're looking now at verses 3 to 10. Verses 3 to 10. Faith demonstrated. And what faith Abraham demonstrates here. And he demonstrates it actually in two ways. He demonstrates it in the actions that he does. And he demonstrates it in the words he speaks. Let's notice it very quickly. Look at the actions. The Lord God said to them this to him, obviously during the night. So what did he do? Verse 3. He rose early. Didn't say, well, oh, I can't make sense of this. You need to give me a few days in this. I need time to pray about this. Um, I need time to consult my friends about this. I need to talk to Sarah about this. No, he rose early. There's the action of obedience. When God speaks, we act and we obey immediately at his timing, not in our time. Look at verse 3. And I want you to note this word took. Because the verb took dominates this section as I show in the moment. Verse 3. He took with him two of his servants. He took with him his son Isaac. 
Verse 6 then, he took the wood and laid it on Isaac. Verse 6, he took in his hand the fire and the knife. Then verse 9, it's not the word took, but I want us to note this. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. And then verse 10, and took the knife. Do you see the progression in taking? The cost that all the time is increasing as Abraham takes each step. First of all, he takes his servants. I need you to come with me. And then he says to his son Isaac, I need you to come with me. And then he takes this journey for three days. And then when the servants shouldn't be going any further, he puts the wood on Isaac. Sign that Isaac is going to be the sacrifice. And then when he has the altar made and he takes the stones and makes the altar and then he takes Isaac and he binds him and then finally he has the knife in his hand and his hand raised up to the heavens. You see, there's the obedience of faith. To take and to take and to take God at his word. Even to the point that we're all that we're about to cut off our very existence and future. That's his actions. Look at his words. They're equally demonstrative of his faith. Look at verse one. When God speaks to him, what does Abraham say? Here I am, he says. And then verse 11, when the Lord speaks to him again, what does Abraham say? Here I am. You see, there's the words of faith. God speaks in his word, and we say, Lord, here I am, your servant, to obey you. And then look at verse nine, uh, sorry, verse five. Here is a remarkable statement of faith. He says to his servants, as he sees the mountain now, and he's about to take Isaac, and he's going to sacrifice Isaac, and he says to the servants, stay here while the boy and I go over there and worship. But he doesn't stop there. Look at what he says. And we will come back to you. Surely it's only I, Abraham, who's going to come back. Is Isaac not going to be slain? Is Abraham going to pull back on the mountain? Is he going to go to the very point and then say, No, Lord, I can't do it no further. No, Abraham's going to go to the mountain. And he's going to slay his son unless the Lord intervenes. But he believes that the slain son, God will raise up again. You see his faith in his words. Here's a man believing in resurrection in the Old Testament. The raising up of the dead. Hebrews chapter 12, we read it says, accounting that God was able to raise him up from the dead. That's what Abraham was doing. And then look at verse 7. Abraham and Isaac are now going together. And what does Abraham say? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Imagine you were Abraham. Imagine the pain of that in your own heart. 
Father, where is the lamb? We've got everything else, but we don't have any lamb for the burnt offering. What is Abram saying? He doesn't say, son, you're the offering, though he believes that is going to be the case, but he believes something else. He believes that God himself on that mountain can provide a sacrifice so that Abraham, or so that Isaac, is not the sacrifice. If God decides that. And so Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. And the two of them went. You see, there's the obedience of faith. Now here's the question to you and me. As we think about, are we maturing in our Christian faith? And the question is, is there the obedience of faith in your words? Can people who hear you speak at work, in your family, in your neighbourhood, have they anything to know or to believe that you are a Christian? Is your faith demonstrated in your words? Is your faith demonstrated in your actions? Are you prepared, like Abraham was, to take at God's command and to do at God's command, even to the very point that you could be cutting off, in effect, humanly speaking, your own future? What about if an issue and one of the commandments came up in your place of work. Dishonesty. Uh, for example. Uh, or um, some other issue in the place of your, of your work. That is a matter of fundamental obedience to God. Will your actions and your words say, I belong to Christ. And no matter what it costs me, should it cost me my job? Should it leave me a question about my mortgage and how I'm going to pay it, going to provide for my children? This is a matter of obedience. That's what Lillian Liddell, the Christian marriage registrar from Islington, working for the local council, basically said. When the same-sex relationships or civil partnerships came in, she as a Christian said, I cannot officiate over two men coming together as in marriage. Or two women coming together in marriage. It's a matter of fundamental, basic revelation in Scripture. And she asked to be excused from that type of civil partnership on the basis of her faith. And the woman was demoted in her place of work. And even at this present time, the case now having gone through all the British courts and the woman having not found justice there, it's gone to the European court. And we should be praying for that woman. And praying that the Lord will honour and bless. But here's a woman who has demonstrated her faith. Peter and Hazel Bull. Guest house owners had a policy for 15-20 years that they would not give a double room to anyone who was not married. 
So if you were came as a boyfriend and girlfriend and asked for a double room, they would have said, sorry, we don't provide that kind of accommodation. As Christians, we provide separate accommodation for those who are not married. And here they were, a short time ago, presented with two men in a homosexual relationship wanting to share a bedroom. And they said, no, we can't do it. It is wrong in the sight of man and it's wicked in the sight of God. And they have lost practically everything. Their faith, you see, again demonstrated in their words and in their actions. That's mature faith. That's the obedience of faith. But then let's see thirdly this morning and wonderfully, faith exonerated or faith um, vindicated faith exonerated any human being looking on watching Abram's actions listening to his words might have accused Abram of folly they might have said this man's faith it's gone to his head he's lost all reason and sense his faith is reckless He's ready to throw away the life of his son. He's ready to throw away his future to obey his God. But that's not how God saw it. God does not see as man sees. Look at what God says. The angel of the Lord is Abraham is the knife and in his hand and his son laid out on the altar. And we've got to note the submission of Isaac to that he as a young man didn't resist his father. And then the Lord speaks. And says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. And look at what he says. Verse 12. Now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. He says, Abraham, I have seen. In the events of these past days and the events of these past moments that you love me more than anyone, than anything else. You love me more than your son. You love me more than your future. You love me more uh, than uh, everything else that I have given to you and promised to you. And you see, here's faith exonerated. Do we want to please God more? Do we want to please Christ more than getting on in life? Do we want to please Christ more than our employer, than political correctness, where we're expected to conform to the norms for morality and spirituality that the government, in its ungodliness, dreams up? Do we love Christ more than family, than friends? What does Abraham discover as he honours the Lord? He doesn't just get a well done from the Lord. Though the Lord does say well done. But look at verses 13 and 14. Verses 13 and 14. Abraham looked up and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering 
instead of his son. You see, there's going to be a burnt offering. And what does Abraham say? The Lord will provide. That's what he said to Isaac. And he could have said now, the Lord has provided. And when you and I face, those Christians, those tests in life, where our love and our loyalty to Christ is on the line, and as we demonstrate our faith by our words and our actions, what must we hold on to? When everybody around us is saying, you fool, you fool, what do we say? We say, the Lord Jehovah will provide. He will provide whatever we need as we honour him. But then let's notice finally this morning, faith rewarded. Faith rewarded. Um, Verses 15 uh, to 19. The obedience of faith that Abraham has demonstrated. It's not only exonerated Don't kill your son, kill the ram instead. It is also rewarded, the uh, the obedience of faith. Look now, look at the reward, look at the blessings that flow. Verse 16, here's what the Lord says, Abraham, here's how I'm going to bless you in the light of your obedience. I swear by myself, I will surely bless you. Verse 17. Because, uh, sorry, back to verse 16. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this, I will bless you. Verse 17. Now notice this phrase. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants, notice that again, will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Verse 18. And through your, it literally is, descendants. NIV shouldn't translate that as offspring there. It's descendants. All nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham, blessing. Blessing. In Christ, because you have obeyed Christ. Now there's a sense in which you and I who have been through the studies in Abraham we might say well Harry your time's running done here let's close our Bibles because we've heard this before 16 and 17 and 18 and there's a sense in which that is right. This is taking us back again to Genesis chapter 12 and if you went back to that chapter you would see how similar These verses 16, 17 and 18 are to the opening three verses in Genesis chapter 12. Promised 40, 50 years ago when Abraham was 75 years of age and a new believer. But here's the point. And don't miss it. There is a subtle and significant difference here. When scripture says something twice, it's not because God has run out of things to say. It's not because God wants to fill up time. It's because there's something significant. And there's something significant and subtle in these promises as they're renewed to Abraham now. In Genesis chapter 12, God's blessing was a promise. But look at it now. 
I swear by myself. The promise then has become an oath now. Something that cannot and will not be broken. Look at verse, if you look again and compare it to Genesis 12, and Genesis 12 it was, I will bless you. But what does God say now? Where's the emphasis now? It is, I will surely bless you and your descendants. Did you notice that word three times? Your descendants, your descendants. Abraham, this faith that you have in, in me, the Christ, this faith that has lived itself out in obedience, because it is now a mature faith, an obedient faith, it's going to be seen. It's going to pass on into the next generation. And Abraham's been told that his obedience makes a world of difference. Not for Abraham himself, because Abraham himself is as saved as he ever will be. He's as sure of heaven as ever he will be. But the point now is that it is for his descendants. The obedience of his faith will make a world of difference to his family. The generations to come. It will make a world of, a world of difference to the whole world. The blessing of Abraham's obedience, we're still reaping it today. We're still reaping that today. And you see, why is it important that you and I don't just have faith in Christ enough to get us into heaven. It's important for the future generations. If your children and my children and your neighbours and my neighbours and your work colleagues and my work colleagues do not see the obedience of faith in your life and mine, then the gospel will not penetrate into their lives. And the gospel will die in our family with our generation. You see, saving faith will get us into heaven. And it's obedient faith that not only that, that ensures that the saving faith we have is a saving faith that goes on into the next generation, goes on out into the community, and out into the world, and to the ends of the earth. That's why the obedience of faith is so important. Let's draw it all together. And I want in a sentence, or a few sentences now, to, just in the end... Raise an objection, which you may have heard made to this passage. It's this. Is this not a monstrous chapter in the Word of God? How could you expect people and to believe that God is a God of love and a God of grace? And a God of mercy and a God to be trusted 
If he is a God who asks a man to slay his son, is this not self-contradicting inconsistency of the worst kind? Because as God not said already, you shall not murder. And what's he doing now? He in effect is asking this man, Abraham, this man of God, to murder his son. Is this not ugly hypocrisy? There are people today, and if they read, if they were here in church and heard this sermon, they would say, hold on here. You've missed the whole point in this sermon. Well, it would be all those things. Hypocrisy. And monstrous. And this God would not be able to be trusted if he were asking Abraham to do something he himself would not do. Because that's the reality. What God asked Abraham to do, to take his son, And to be ready to offer him as a burnt offering on Moriah, which is just outside Jerusalem. God had already decided in eternity, my son, and notice the son, like Abraham's son, his only son. His son whom he loves. His son in whom he delights. God would cause that son, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, to leave heaven, to come down to earth. And where would he go? He would go to a cross and he would die there as the sin offering for the sins of men and women and boys and girls. You see, God has asked his son to do a far greater act of obedience. And if we had time, we could think about how his son's faith, Jesus, was tested. And how Jesus demonstrated obedience. And how Jesus was exonerated. And how he was rewarded. But God has asked his son to do a far greater act of obedience. To lay down his sinless life for our sinful lives. That we might be forgiven. And you see, that's why God could ask Abraham to do this. Because it's pointing forward, ultimately, to Christ, his Son, dying on the cross. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, that's what we mean by faith in Christ. When we talk about faith tested, faith demonstrated, faith exonerated, faith rewarded, what do we mean? We mean you and I coming before Christ and saying, I'm a sinner. I know that in my heart. I know that in my, my actions, in my words. Jesus is sinless. He is the Savior. He can bring me to God by his death at Calvary for my sins. I put my faith, my trust in him. If it were not for the obedience of faith that Christ showed there would be no salvation. But because of the obedience of faith that Christ showed, there is salvation to all who believe. And as we believe then in Christ, we're enabled 
to work out this pattern that we've seen this morning where our faith tested, we demonstrated in our words and our actions, God exonerates it and God will reward it with blessing now and in heaven and in the generations to come. What a wonderful thing it is to live by faith in the Son of God. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for Abraham, your servant of old. We thank you that though the Christ had not yet come to the earth in his flesh, yet Abraham believed the Christ would come. And Abraham looked to the Christ who would come. And Abraham said in him, I am saved and forgiven my sins. And I offer up these sacrifices, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the peace offering, and all the other sacrifices, I offer up them because they point me to the Christ who will come as the Saviour of the world and as my Saviour. We thank you that this man had faith, that though it had many ups and downs and twists and turns, yet by this stage we see now a man of mature faith. Lord, encourage us by that this morning. Because some of us are in the ups and downs of the Christian life. And we stumble and we fall. And we fail in many ways. Help us to know that if we keep, keep on keeping on. And keep going back to Christ again. To his cross. That one day we each one will have the same maturity of faith. And one day there will come a test. And we will demonstrate our faith as never before, by our words and by our actions. And you will be pleased, and you will be honoured, and you will provide, and you will bless not only us, but also our households, and also our world around us, through the obedience of our faith. O oh Lord, help us. To pursue the obedience of faith. For your glory. For our own good. The well-being of our children. Their salvation. And the salvation of sinners in this community. In Jesus name. Amen.